That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Viagra Moon Losing my opinion Take it away, Matt. Me? Okay. Well, folks, I am still sick. South by Southwest, man. Whoa. Did a number on you. That really messed me up. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I have not yet recovered. I saw somebody on uh, Instagram the other day. They were like, oh, I had a great time at South by. And it was like this showcase of uh, TikTok influencers. Nice. I have no idea where this happened. Like I went to a lot of things and it was like a huge like mansion like environment. There were thousands of people there. I didn't I have no idea. Maybe this is like some sort of like eyes wide shut <laughs> thing that wasn't open to everyone, but it was like that was not the festival that I went to and played at. Like it looked like a different universe. Dude, you should come to this new festival, Fidelio. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't bring crunchy Fidelio bread for everyone, so yeah, I was not invited. Uh, but I am feeling a bit better. Thank you for not asking. <laughs> uh, well, I do have a question for you. In the year 2022, how many 2022 albums did you listen to, would you guess? You know, brand new, came out that year. How, how many were you able to, to get to, would you say? Like listen to all the way through? Yeah. And not necessarily enjoy just how, how many did you get to touch on, consume, you know, to keep up with the new stuff? How much would you guess? I don't know, 35, 40? Probably for me as well. Our guest today listened to nearly 300 of them. Jeez, uh, we, have, we have Jason Reese on the podcast today. How are you, Jason? Good. It's funny that you used that as my intro because uh, we'll kind of be talking about that later. Okay, coolio. <laughs> uh, Jason is a uh, creator and co-host of an amazing music critique channel, Tastes Like Music, on YouTube. Videos for days, just riveting stuff for music nerds like me. And uh, you got a new new podcast, but it seems like it's pretty That's new. Right, yeah. uh, worst favorite record? Yeah, worst favorite record. Um, I have released four episodes so far. I've got the fifth one recorded, and that's it so far. So, yeah, pretty brand new. I'm talking to my guests about... Less than uh, records with less than stellar reputations that they still somehow enjoy. So that's the premise. Matt, he covered Lulu on uh, one of the first episodes. Oh, okay. All right, Jason. Jason, how do you feel about that record? I think it's really bad. I think it's <laughs> one of the worst records I've ever heard. But yeah, I had Ron Gallo on to talk about that one. If anyone knows his music out there, love Ron Gallo. I saw him at South by. My friend manages him, and yeah, he's a real. He's amazing, that dude. Yeah. Did a great job. He was, he was, he was playing. I, when I saw him play, it was like his third show of the day. And he was like totally, him and his band were totally fried, but it sounded amazing. Cool, yeah. So real, real pro. But yeah, I, I had like mixed feelings about the record because I heard that it was like the worst thing ever made. So I think going Louis into it. Fault. That's what I say. <laughs> I don't know if it I was. Mean, it was bad on both sides, but he used his... the nail in the coffin, his edgelord shit. Yeah, it was just Lou Reed, you know, in a room with Metallica, it seemed like. Yeah. Anyway, so you're no stranger to talking about less than stellar music, but also amazing high-quality music, everything in between. Try to talk about it all. Yeah, that's right. Not unlike uh, this here show, Losing My Opinion, I am 
toast of the indie music town, Niagara Moon, mm-hmm. aka Thomas Irwin. Uh, beloved, yeah, I would say Relished. beloved. Uh, I'm universally, universally ha- hated, reviled uh, indie musician Thin Lear. <laughs> yeah, you spit it out now, aka Matt Longo. I feel excluded. I don't have the um, pseudo band name. <laughs> yeah, where's your so, moniker, Jason? We a need moniker. a moniker. Um, yeah, what should, well, maybe by the end of the episode, we'll, we'll come we can up with one come for up you. With one for me. Yeah, sweet baby Jay. <laughs> maybe. No, we'll work on it. <laughs> okay. Tastes like Jason. Right. Um, uh, no, probably. Not. I don't know about that. Well, he's not going to go far with that <laughs> nickname. Well, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you on. Pleasure to have you both on. I'm very excited to uh, to dig into this week's subject. We're talking about some fantastic songs. You all love these songs. You know them very well. I'm sure the listeners do also. Uh, just great all-time music. Can't pick out any faults with it as far as I'm concerned. I'm talking about the songs you've known for all these years, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, are either of you uh, familiar with this this record? No, not heard it. Are you going to play the MIDI version of this or something? Or No, no MIDI. No. Real people, real instruments. Okay. Uh, Jason, are you, are you familiar with this record? I feel like you might have gone back and watched some old videos of mine and they're tailoring this episode to me. Uh, yeah, Beatles are my favorite band of all time. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the Beatles. Wait. No, I, I'm talking about the 1978 record. Oh, man. Here we go. The Bee Gees. <laughs> some Frampton. Some Fra- Peter Frampton, yeah, co- uh, collaborator. I've heard this record, too. You yes. have heard it. Okay. Uh, Matt, have, have you heard uh, this, this wonderful 1978 classic? Very superficially. I know that it's kind of like a blight on the career of the Bee Gees, but yeah. <laughs> let's go into it. Uh, let's, let's get into it. I'll, I'll set this up here. Well, I guess I should ask, uh, Jason, you, you feel like I teed this up uh, for a specific reason? Is this well-worn territory for you? I've never talked about this record on any video, so no, this is this is fresh terrain. All right, so to 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 bring things back a little bit here, get get everybody up to speed. So, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, yeah, come on, Beatles. We've talked about it. 1967. Enough said. In 1978, somehow somebody wiggled their way into getting the rights uh, to these songs, and uh, they put out. An American jukebox musical comedy film uh, starring an ensemble cast led by Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees perform, sing on many, many of uh, the songs from this, this movie. The, the soundtrack, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the film soundtrack for Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, double album. Uh, they do several songs from both uh, Sgt. Pepper's and Abbey Road. And if you're starting to be like, what? It's as bad as you think it might be. You, you got a few exceptions here, like Aerosmith come in to do, come together. Uh, people like Earth, Wind, and Fire's rendition have got to get you into my life. But by and large, you are just going to hear a massacre of these classic tunes. But before we get any further, my main question that I kind of want to explore, you know, the Beatles are so damn good. John Lennon and Paul McCartney uh, writing these classics does the brilliance of this music somehow still survive this stupid, cocaine-ridden, late-70s <laughs> disco treatment? That's, that's the thing I want to explore today. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I have no... I can't say how bad it is. I, I, I watched it, like, pieces of it once. You watched the movie. And I, 
I yeah, haven't seen yeah, any yeah, of the no, movie. I, I, I can't comment on the, the film. I'm sure it's wonderful, though. The movie's even more insane than the, than the recordings, yeah. I've seen bits of the movie, yeah. It's yeah. bonkers. I remember feeling about it the way I felt about like the, the Who's Tommy movie, where it was just like, this doesn't feel super necessary. <laughs> to the re- At best, this doesn't feel necessary. And then at worst, like these are people with a, a budget, like a real budget, going crazy. Well, my feeling on most Beatles covers is that, yeah, the, the, the brilliance is evident. It's always pretty clear that it's a great song. Almost never does anyone match the original. So is there really any point to covering the Beatles? I don't know. Um, Rarely, yeah. But yeah, it's hard to mess it up so bad that you completely lose the fact that it's a brilliant song. True. Well, we'll, we'll see if that happens today or not. <laughs> I got a few different numbers to uh, share with you fellas. So you're picking the worst ones, I'm assuming. Well, you know what? I'm going to start with actually my favorite, my, my worst favorite from this record. I think the second track on, this, uh, on the soundtrack is a cover of uh, Here Comes the Sun, and that's where I want to start as kind of our, our, our baseline going in. And I say the term baseline uh, with pun intended because you're going to hear some of the, the bass on this and you might chuckle to yourself. This bassist is busy. He's filing his taxes. He's got to pick his kid up at school. He's pulling a double shift. I, I don't. I don't want to build it up any further than I already have. I'll, I'll get your folks' thoughts on it here. Uh, here comes the sun. Wow. Okay. Uh, sung by Sandy Farina, whoever that is. This is not a good start to discover. Here comes the sun. Like the cheers theme song. Here comes the sun, and I say it's alright. Little darling, <laughs> it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Little darling, it feels like years since it's I kind of like this. sound pretty much the same. Uh, I guess. It's so strange. That's where the bass player decides to <laughs> pare it down. That's where he's going to do quarter notes. Is that? <laughs> do we know who the bass player is? Yes, it is. He probably died of a heart attack at the end of that session. The bassist is Wilbur Bascom Jr., uh, who is the son of jazz trumpeter Wilbur Bascom, who played with uh, Duke Ellington. You know what? If you're going to do a so ill-advised 
cover album of Beatles songs with like disco flavored, go ham on the bass, whatever. That's that's not the problem here. Uh, so uh, I, I want to get you guys' thoughts. What, what was your uh, reaction to, to hearing that beautiful music? Jason, you liked it. I feel like I saw you enjoying it. No, it was not good. <laughs> it was not good, no. I think you nailed it when you said, um, like, the Cheers theme. It feels like an 80s TV theme. and I mean, I guess it's from 78, yeah. right? So it's ahead of its time in that sense. So. It's cutting edge. <laughs> <laughs> good compliment. Yeah, that bass line is, like, hilarious. I mean, obviously he is incredibly proficient at his instrument, uh, but it's it's just like it, it's it's like he's playing uh, like a karaoke version or something, like, where, where the bass is supplanting the vocal, but the vocal is still there, <laughs> and it just it's it does not fit with the song. It's such a smooth thing, and he's just like going wild. But anyway, I, the bass is not the worst bit of that song. I, I feel like it's maybe the vocals are just really saccharine, yeah. and that song is so special, and it. And it like some Beatles songs do, it skirts that line between maybe being saccharine, uh, but there's something that has an edge to it about the original recording that is just completely missing. And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think any single element of the song is terrible. I don't think her singing is like necessarily bad, and I, you know, the bass playing kind of fits the arrangement that they built up there. And it's just that the whole thing is just nothing. <laughs> that's really the problem guys it's only going to get so much worse yeah, you said you liked that one that was legitimately uh, my favorite rendition <laughs> on this album by far can I can I just point out something before you start the next oh, yeah. track um, the photo that people can't see this but uh, the photo that you have behind you of the, the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton um, that's Robin Gibb in the front right yeah um, that guitar that he's holding I actually have one of those oh, shit. back there it's a Gibson Marauder you guys familiar with the Marauders at nice. all? I've heard of it. I've never played one. Yeah, very cool, interesting guitar. But it's kind of amazing that he's standing upright because it is one of the heaviest guitars you will ever, ever pick up. He's not a big guy either. No. So he's, probably a lot of effort yeah. went into that. Does Barry have his arm around him? He might be holding him up. <laughs> they were brothers. You know, they help each other. I don't know if I made this clearer uh, before, but um, the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton all star in the movie too and play the Sgt. Pepper's band and, and dress in the whole get up and everything. They're not just yeah. uh, you know, behind the microphone. Sure. I mean, you, you're going to go for it. You, you should go for it, right? So do you guys have a guess as to who did all the production and arranging uh, for this album, by the way? I feel as a huge Beatles fan that I already know knew this at some point, and it's escaping me at the moment. We'll, we'll play one more tune, and then I'll, I'll let you uh, take another guess. Okay. Let's listen to Fixing a Hole, shall we? We all like Fixing a Hole. Yeah, this is, this is a tough song to cover. If I remember correctly, this is performed vocally by George Burns, who's, you know, some esteemed uh, comedian personality. The comedian George Burns? Yeah, he was born in like the 1800s. So I, yes, I, I, give yeah. him, I give him a little bit of a pass on this, but some, it was somebody's idea to have George Burns uh, performing Fixing a Hole. So let's, uh, sure. let's see what that's all about. Yeah, Bob Hope doing Helter Skelter. <laughs> I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in and stops my mind from wandering where it will go I'm filling the cracks that ran through the door that kept my mind 
it's really hitting those low notes. Where it I think I like this one better. In a colorful way. And when my mind is wandering, my mind. There I will go. It's doing its own thing a little bit more. Yeah, it's just inherently ridiculous. And it, I feel like it, it knows it's ridiculous more than. Yeah. Two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, George, did you forget the lyrics? Yeah, this one's growing on me too. This isn't bad. <laughs> it's not bad. It adheres more to the original, I guess, more than the last one, certainly. Jason, how'd you feel about that one? Uh, that wasn't too bad. I mean, the music was very pretty straightforward, just like copying the original and George Burns doing his thing. I guess it worked yeah. out. Steve Martin did uh, Maxwell's Silver Hammer. That one got on my nerves a little bit more. I remember I, I, I've seen the clip of that one for sure. So the, uh, the person leading the charge in the studio, the arranger, the producer, was a guy named George Martin. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think I knew that. Yeah. The, the parts, that's crazy. That's why you, you hear some of those like backing parts. They're really faithful to the original because you got the guy who, uh, you know, had a hand in putting them together the first time around. Sure. Should he have been involved? Like, you know, would it have just been by default worse if anybody else had gotten roped into it and then it would have stained the Beatles' legacy more? Or how, how do we feel about George Martin uh, making that play? I don't think this touched the Beatles at all. Uh, I think it was the BGs, I think, that, that it touched, <laughs> if anything. I, I mean, so. the Beatles are pretty Teflon with people doing stuff with their work. Yeah, I don't, it's weird that he did it. I, I don't know. The, the whole thing's weird. Who did they make this for? It makes. <laughs> yeah, it what's make the? Who is the audience? Yeah, because it's like the boomers are sort of you know still pretty young at this point. They don't need a review of a record <laughs> that they love. Well, the movie was adapted from like a 1974 uh, off-Broadway production, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band on the Road. That must have been even worse. Uh, Somebody thought this is a money-making opportunity. Bring the Beatles to the big screen again. We we got this uh, musical to to work off of here. Mm. You know, got to shoot your shot. Seems like something McCartney would have enjoyed doing, like his way. You know, he'd like the Thrillington stuff and like he's always had like a little bit of a uh, desire to break into movies. And what was that movie in the 80s uh, that he starred in? Give my regards to Broad Street. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, he could have done this. <laughs> he could have. He could have been involved in, in, on some level. Well, before I play uh, the next and probably hopefully last song uh, from this selection here. <laughs> I do want to share a quote from Robin Gibb from right before the film's release. Kids today don't know the, Be- the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper. Okay, I guess that was the case in the late 70s. Uh, but 
He then says, and when those who do see our film and hear us doing it, that will be the version they relate to and remember. Unfortunately, the Beatles will be secondary. You see, there is no such thing as the Beatles. They don't exist as a band and never perform Sgt. Pepper live in any case. When ours comes out, it will be, in effect, as if theirs never existed. When you hear the Beatles do Long Tall Sally or Roll Over Beethoven, did you care about Little Richard's or Chuck Berry's version? Some big balls on that statement. Big swinging balls. Big eight balls. (laughs) He's got a pretty high voice for such big balls. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't sound like something he'd say. He seems like a pretty mild-mannered fellow. It's on Wikipedia, and it has a uh, a footnote, so I'm going to take it as fact. Wow. I mean, he's not wrong about the... Everything except for <laughs> the, the, the work that he's doing, he's not wrong about. I mean, like when there's a cover that uh, injects life into something that wasn't huge the first time around, uh, yeah, that tends to be the thing that sticks around in people's minds. But like this was not that project. Well, I want to end things off on a high note here. Uh, I want to play Thinly or one of your all-time favorite Beatles songs. You, When we had uh, Nicholas Kurgovich on the pod, you made him tear up with this song Mm. I want to play uh, She's Leaving Home my favorites yeah I want want to see if this uh, gives you the the same emotional reaction you know hearing it anew who sings this the uh, Lyndon Johnson the the Bee Gees themselves sing this one uh, with a little help from their electronic friends shall we say oh god Jason what's your favorite song from uh, Sgt. Peppers if you got one oh man um hmm I got you on the spot here. I t- I'll tell you it's what it's not. It's not Day in the Life. Oh, okay. Why do you say that? So, sh- so like, why that? Why that one for sure? Not that one. I just think it's. I think it's overrated. Mm. I would probably maybe Lovely Rita. That mm-hmm. might be my favorite. Classy choice. All right. Well, Lovely Rita, the Saint. Uh, we're gonna listen to Bee Gees, a very creative reimagining of She's Leaving Home. Mm-hmm. That's getting emotional. Yeah, it's just, it's just get it gets me, you know. prefer the robot part. <laughs> it's okay to get emotional, Matt. Let it out. Yeah. Father snows oh, there you go. as his wife gets into her dressing gown. Picks up the letter that's lying there Standing alone at the top of the stairs she breaks This is the version we should have played for Nick. I think we screwed up. Yeah. Oh, he would have loved it. Oh, God. 
<laughs> that feeble horror. So thoughtlessly. How could she do All right, I think right. we've you got for sure idea. heard enough of this. Uh, it's making me really love Sergeant Pepper even more. Truly? <laughs> yes, yeah, it makes me, I mean... You realize all the ways they could have fucked it up and didn't in the original, I guess. Yes, and, and like that there's something... Even I know Paul gets dragged for like ha- having songs, and this is obviously in his solo career more than the Beatles, but like songs that are maybe saccharine or too theatrical or something like that. But at this point in his career, like there was an edge, even to those songs, that th- there there was so, so there was depth there, um, and it wasn't pap, it wasn't it's superficial stuff, and that, like it's it's kind of annoying when people put him in that category, even when he was in the group. And to hear those songs sort of stripped of that edge, whatever he was bringing to it, even vocally, because there was no Beatles playing on that song on the recording. It was just him and then John singing in the background. Uh, there was weight to what they were doing. It didn't feel saccharine. Um, it felt true and, and honest, even though it was theatrical. So uh, I don't know what it was that they brought to it. That's what makes them magical. But like it's clear that in this version, it's not there. If my memory serves correctly from, from having heard this, I believe this is the track that stuck out in my mind as the most egregious on the whole thing. And I feel like that's because the Bee Gees could have done so much with this. Like, they could have come up with the most amazing vocal arrangement. I mean, they're great singers. They could, And there's so much room in this song for them to have ex, like explored it and done so much vocally. And to come in with that robot voice and then... <laughs> And then they have well, it's these the other mean ran- Mr. Mustard robots. <laughs> yeah, Haven't you these, seen the film? These other um, voices coming in, whoever they are. It's just so sloppy and shows, you know, it doesn't show the song in a great light and it doesn't show them in a great light. And it, it's just a real missed opportunity, I think. It's, yeah, that's a bad one. That's another good point, Jason, because it's like, I feel, I, I, I really love albums of whole albums of the Bee Gees like there there and there are songs they have that are absolutely brilliant that nobody else could have written so I know I've been making fun of what they are doing here but like I feel like it's warranted and it's not like it's, it's, it's because it's not some band that is is without merit that's doing this <laughs> like it's fellas who are incredibly talented you know like a song like Spirits Having Flown right like the arrangements on that song the vocal arrangements just like no other three dudes could do that and yet here they're, they're just absent in that way. I was going to ask, because honestly, I don't know any Bee Gees songs except for the Saturday Night Fever tracks. I don't know. In the back of my mind, you know, between those tired disco hits and the shit show that was the soundtrack, like, I know my mom loves them. Like, I know that they, you know, go back to the 60s and have a catalog, but just I, I've always had this mental block on checking them out. But uh, I, love, I love early Bee Gees. It makes me wish my segment was early Bee Gees songs. All right. So it could have been a really cohesive yes. episode. <laughs> you need to, Jason, you need to come back on and educate yeah. Thomas on early Bee Gees because that's, you're, you're missing I need out. An education. Man. You're yeah. missing out. If you're doing deep dives on Hall and Oates early material, which granted, I was shocked by at how good that was. You need to dig back All right. into the Bee Gees work. And I also love the disco stuff that they do. You know, jive talking. It's, 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 you know, it's classic, but it's, I'm not going to seek it out at this point. More than a woman can come to me. I don't need to go to it. <laughs> the early stuff will blow your mind. It'll All right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm, glad I, uh, I'm glad I asked. And it also sounds like 
all this does is help the Beatles themselves in terms of their their appreciation of of their music, of their image, their legacy. You know, a shit stain like this really, in the long run, only helps you realize just how great the the group themselves were. So it sounds like they. Yeah, you never want your work described as a shit stain. I think it's what we all try to avoid in making music. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the Beatles themselves prevail here, though, huh? The reputation. I think so. Yeah, it makes me miss miss them. Beatles always prevail. Yeah. Jason, what is your favorite Beatles record? I know it's like a hard thing to answer, but I, I guess the question, the better question is at this moment, what is the record that you... Probably, um, I think I've been saying for the past couple of years that it's uh, the White Album. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Very close second would be Revolver. I mean, you can kind of say anything and it, it could work. Yeah, I, lo- I love them all. They're all five-star albums, every single one, except Yellow Submarine. Yeah, yeah, right. We don't have to count that one. I mean, that's an EP. That's a five star EP. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to leave you too with the mental image of a bunch of dudes riding a flugelhorn <laughs> that we saw in the YouTube video. <laughs> John Lennon obviously would would shun something like this. You know, who who would subject themselves to that? But apparently, he was subjected to not one but two in flight screenings of the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie. <laughs> Uh, during a February 18th, 1979 Pan Am flight from Rome to New York. Uh, the it. film was shown a second time when a snowstorm delayed landing in New York City. So John is just sitting there in that tiny airplane seat uh, watching this movie. He can't, he can't escape it. And I, I would have loved to uh, <laughs> have been a fly on the wall. I would have think he might have had enjoyed himself at the ridiculousness of it. I don't think he was at a certain point in his life. It didn't seem like he was too precious with the Beatles stuff. I mean, you see in that in the video for um, Mind Games, you know, there's there's a scene. He's strolling around Central Central Park and he's he's pointing to this like Sergeant Pepper's review thing, and he seems like you know like he's somewhat uh, bemused hey, that by was it. Was probably the '74 off Broadway production. Prob- I think it was. Yeah, I think he's posting the, the pointing the flyer for it. And he seems you know bemused and proud. Or I wonder. Yeah. I wonder in '78, you know before it went through this aging process, <laughs> like how bad it seemed then, if it seems, you know, maybe it wasn't quite as bad. Uh, well, I got something to pull up for you there, Jason. Well, I know it was panned, right? <laughs> the album release, the soundtrack release, made history as being the first record to return platinum, with over 4 million copies of it taken off store shelves and shipped back to distributors. Hundreds oh, of thousands of copies my. of the album ended up being destroyed by RSO, uh, you can see that it's like listed on Spotify, but you can't play it. I had to do this all on on YouTube. Uh, so I don't I don't know. I think uh, I think uh, at, even at the time, 1978 audiences knew a little better. Huh. <laughs> but uh, Jason, what have you been listening to this week? Losing my opinion. All right. Well, as every week, as you alluded to at the beginning of the episode, I listen to a lot of new music, and I listen to all the Friday releases every week. And So that's what I want to talk about today with you guys, is new music listening habits. I don't know, do you guys know great detail of what your demographic is listening to your, your podcast? Uh, is my mom, Longo, is your mom listening to the show? <laughs> uh, various mothers of uh, Long Island to Boston across massachusetts new york tri-state area our, our past guests uh my friend oliver <laughs> so 
it's a real smorgasbord. I guess it's we're pretty spread right. out. Yeah. How are, how are your moms yeah. doing with uh, keeping up with the new? Hate it. They hate the it. New music. Oh, uh, oh yeah. They probably hate that too. Yeah. I imagine. My mom's fairly open-minded, actually. Though, if I try to show her something, sometimes she digs it. How much new music are you got? You you said maybe thirty or forty albums last year. Yeah, it's, probably thirty or forty records. Yeah. I got certain artists that are on my radar, but it's it's hard to keep finding new ones that really scratch my. It's not itch. bad. That's like almost one a week. Yeah, that's probably yeah, too much. I, then <laughs> for me, it's probably less than that. <laughs> one a week sounds about right to like actually delve into it. Yeah. Okay. Well. My whole thing when I started Tastes Like Music, it was kind of to, I wanted to bridge the gap between, you know, the classic rock, rockists, and people listening to new music and following the blogs and things like that. And I've never felt that there's like that much separating the old and new, the way that, you know, it happens. People have kids or, you know, they get sucked into their jobs and life happens and it's harder to follow. But then it's hard to get back in. And I, th- I think people need to make a greater effort to get back in yeah. to, the, to the flow of, of listening to music. So I wanted to just bring in some, some songs today, all from 2023, all from the last three months. January, February, usually, except with the rare exception of last year, are usually very weak release months. So I'm compared to a different time of the year, this would be easier. So this I'm just I want to prove a point here that like even when the releases are slow and there's not a lot going on, there is always, always, always stuff to find that you will Great. enjoy. Excited. I love it. I, I'm tired of talking about old stuff. <laughs> In uh, a f- feather in my cap, uh, I drove uh, back home from Boston today. I listened to two 2023 albums. I listened to the new Benny Sings album and the new Jenny O album. So I'm awesome. Well, Jenny O is on my list. Oh. But I have a long list, so we could skip her. Yeah, skip you, that. We want. don't want Thomas to feel empowered in any way. But the listeners should Make go it a plan. The listeners should go listen to Jenny O. I Check out I Jenny O. Really like her record. Spectra. Well, I guess, Jason, at the top here, what is your, how do you fit in listening to so many records in general? What what are your secrets? Because it's, well, even for me to keep up with the old stuff, I, I feel like I start drowning in it sometimes. I listen to, I don't know, six records a day, seven, maybe more. So, wow. Sometimes it's old stuff. I mean, for Taste Like Music, we do a, a full discography every other week. Oh wow! And rank all the records, so I'm fitting that in. I'm we're doing year deep dives, three months at a time. So I'm always focusing. We just did 98. I listened to 120 records for 1998. And you ranked tomorrow, tomorrow like number three, and I was like, this guy yeah. listens. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love Elliot. Jason, was there ever a, a like a discography deep dive that was difficult to come out of? Uh, like in the sense that either it was like you kind of got stuck there or it was like even though you loved it, it was difficult to wade through. I think the hardest for me was Neil Young. <laughs> I haven't listened to Neil Young. That was like two years ago. And I haven't listened to him since, and I'm kind of still over him. <laughs> wow. It was, that was brutal. I was like, what, 40-some albums. and He's was, yeah, prolific. Maybe 10 of yeah. them are really good. That's pretty fair. All things considered, it's, a yeah. lot, it's a lot of... <laughs> You know, mediocrity and worse. I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, so we, I pulled up a song called uh, Turpentine here. Yeah. So this is H. C. McIntyre. Either of you familiar with her at all? 
No. I know she's on Merge. And I know she was in a she had a band before this. I'm forgetting the name of it. They were called no. uh, Mount Mariah. And right. she also she sang back up for Angel Olsen a little bit and she's got a great voice. Kind of country folk rock thing. This new record is really good. It's her third solo record. And you can start this one from about the 335 mark and we can let it right. go from there probably. It might maybe it's too long to listen to, but uh, my favorite guitar solo of the year, and I it's hard to find credits online sometimes. I'm pretty sure this is Luke Norton playing guitar. And the tone on this and, and just the feel, it's it's nasty, so buckle up. HC McIntyre Turpentine. Got a good chunk. That, that Nels Klein feel. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the tone where it's just like barely under control to a song that just has like beautiful melodic <laughs> changes and, and that juxtaposition is just, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I really like that. I like yeah, her voice a lot too. Really good. Yeah. yeah. I, I would have liked to hear more of the vocal too. She had we a really nice... could just listen to the uh, whole record, vocal. but uh, don't have we, time we for could, that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you do to get a guitar tone like that? Is that like a Big Muff, Little Rat, one of those pedals that my old guitarist it seems more complicated than a big okay. muff yeah fuzz there's fuzz on there yeah there's definitely fuzz <laughs> i'm not the guitar guy so uh all right so that's yeah, sweet that, that's that and that is uh yeah i love that so there's actually another solo earlier in the song that's much shorter but similar uh all right so next one i know almost nothing about this band i don't really know who they are or where they're from but uh, it's a band called Slug. That name sounds familiar. And they have a record called Thy Socialite. And uh, this one is a song called Instant Reaction. This record is really kind of all over the place. Definitely some like proggy elements, some like 70s AOR type of feel. Mm. There's also some riffs on this record that kind of remind me a little of like Queens of the Stone Age or White Stripes, um, but it's kind of theatrical and the ar- arrangement and song structure is really like, it bounces around, kind of goes all over the place. Um, 
I don't know. It's a fun listen. It's an exciting listen. I, I think the whole record is really interesting and and catchy and has all these all, all there's a lot to listen to. It's very exciting stuff. It's, I, I have like no idea what to expect with this. It sounds like a a wild pastiche of influences. You can start it. Start this one at like the one minute mark, and you'll hear maybe three or four different sections. And I don't know if any of those will be the chorus, but. <laughs> Thy socialite exclamation point. I feel like uh, my Spotify algorithm has recommended this one to me. This album cover looks familiar. January of, of this year, January 20th. All right. Slug instant reaction. Froggy. Is that a tambourine? What's what's going on there? It's cool. Yeah, it sounds like a tambourine. Yep. It's like right in the center of my head, the way it sounds. Yeah, they're going for it. <laughs> I like this, yeah. The sporadicness is like gear hoof, but it's like less abrasive. <laughs> That was great. I love that. I was just looking them up. So they're, it seems like it's mainly this dude, Ian, Ian Black. And he's vaguely connected to the, to the guys from Field Music, that mm. UK group, which is like, I guess I so, sort of see. Uh, and he's like a touring musician with them and he's just doing his own thing. Uh, that's great. Very fresh sounding. Yeah, there's a lot of elements of different things in there that you can kind of pick out, but it doesn't really sound like any of them specifically. It doesn't. I, and I get the theatrical bit, too, and the riffage that you brought up, too. I got, I got those as well. Yeah, it, it's, it's proggy in a way that is looking to the future and less like we're doing a King Crimson right. thing or whatever. Yeah, it really didn't remind me of anything pre-existing too much. Like the closest I could kind of put my finger on, it's if like uh, Kevin Barnes from of Montreal put together like a '90s sludgy stoner indie band. I think hi-fi Kevin Barnes. I, th- yeah. I think the Kevin Barnes is kind of a good call. I, I can definitely see that's kind of like hyperactive mind type of thing. All right, so how many do you want me want me to do? I got a bunch written here. I can I can prioritize. Well, you can be like scratch Jenny O off. Yeah, no, don't make him feel good about himself. You gotta find other stuff. (laughs) I miss you, Jenny. Uh, We got we could do like two more. Yeah, do your the ones you prefer. Well, let's do uh, let's do Caroline Rose next. Do you guys know her at all? Yeah. So I fell in love with her record from 2018, Mm -hmm. 
which was called Loner. Yeah. And then her follow-up was very, I mean, it was good, but it was very, very similar to Loner to the point where I was like, okay, this is good. I like it, but I've heard this. And now this new record, I think, is really, she's going in a much more interesting direction again. So uh, we're going to do a song called The Kiss. This one has got like kind of a 80s thing going on, maybe a little synth pop, but it's very kind of minimal, a little bit sparse, kind of a slow burn. Oh, Caroline Rose. Kiss. I think there's like <laughs> a, a press shot that she did where photos um, she has like a ton of cigarettes in her mouth. That's the cover to the 2018 record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is very vivid. I remember that. This is quite an image I'm looking at. Uh, the whole room is on fire and she's blindfolded. There's a Santa Claus mug. This is, this is quite intriguing here. Any place I should start it from or just beginning? Uh, just just start it and let it go as long as you want. All righty. Nothing on the street tonight, it's emptiness. Heaven knows I've seen it all before. Nothing on the street tonight but a burning heart. Reaching out and ready to explode. For the kiss, I will do most anything. For the kiss, I would do most anything. Nothing on the street tonight but a melody. I listen now with one ear to the wall. It's got that 80s feel, yeah. If I could just get myself out the door For the kids I would do most anything For the kids I would do most anything For the kids are sick that's great it reminds me of like uh that trajectory that surprising trajectory that perfume genius took where Mm. you know it's like i know she wasn't doing like sparse piano ballads uh before this but like where it was very organic sounding music and then it went to this direction where it was like alternately sparse harsh electro and then maximalist electronic music mixed in it feels like it could explode at any moment. And I think that's the similarity I see to like per- some of Perfume Genius's latest releases where it's like, there's a, a dangerous vibe to it for whatever reason. Yeah. I think that's a good comparison. Um, I know that was kind of like a slow song to like get listeners engaged, but I think that's, I wanted you to start it at the beginning. Cause I think that's the magic of that song is the way it really just like slowly unfolds. Yeah. It really 
slowly pulls you in. Right. The burning room. All right. I got to get it down to one more. So it's hard. Let's do let's do um let's do the new uh, Gaz Coombs. You guys familiar with Gaz? He was the lead singer of a band called Supergrass, which you may know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that the We Are Young? Yes. Okay. That's yeah. I think that's all so, I know. So Supergrass, one of my favorite bands of the '90s and early 2000s. I absolutely love Supergrass. I think they're one of the most underrated bands ever. His solo records are okay. They're kind of hit and miss. Some of them are pretty good. He kind of has been trying to like do this Radiohead type of thing that hasn't really fully been working for me. Um, but the new record, I think he finally cracked the code, <laughs> and uh, I think it's really cool. So I'm going to send you over a song called Feel Loop. Feel Loop? On a side note, I, I, I played my... Uh, I was trying to show my daughter different music videos that were like animated or had like like Muppets in them or whatever. And... You know, I played her a bunch of different things. I think like Keep Fishing, Weezer, and like stuff like that. And, and then I was like, oh my God, Supergrass, Pumping on Your Stereo. That's like the most fun video I could think of. And she loved it. And I remember how much I loved it. It was just a blast. People don't really talk about Supergrass. You're right. Like they haven't really been embraced by like new indie minds. No. I think, I think that video actually did them, you know. It was a hit at the time, but I think the way it stuck in people's minds kind of pegged them as a little bit as like the monkeys, people, the way they were goofing around in that video, and people, I don't think, took them seriously. Sure. Are they British? That. Yeah. I guess with a name like Gaz Coombs. They are British, yeah. They were kind of like tail end of Britpop. I feel like they probably, right, probably more in the UK, and I, I know I met some Supergrass fans in Japan. I, I feel like they're, they're like a Stone Roses deal where they're appreciated more overseas than in the States. Uh, feel loop in parentheses lizard dream. This one's intriguing. All right, Gas Coombs.
pretty badass. Do you think 2023 is starting out strong then? No, actually, I don't. <laughs> I think it's one of the weaker years uh, in a while. But again, it's only March. It's sure. time to turn it around. January and February, tradi- traditionally not great months usually. Not really sure the reasoning behind it, but usually the releases pick up in, in March and usually in the fall. And then after October, things slow down. So, Well, if, if this is one of the lesser years, I guess that more and more proves the point there's always great fucking music to check out no matter the uh the era it's right and i mean maybe you listen to the songs that i chose here and you're like what's the big deal i didn't really care for any of those songs but the 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 point is that you can curate (laughs) to your taste there's stuff out there that you would enjoy if you took the time to dig through it and and you know i think people they might hear that and go well it's not it's not the the beatles and it's not david bowie and so why should i not you know, why should I listen to these things over those things that I know I love? It was because things that you love that much are out there, and you can find them. And, the, the you know, the classic guys and gals, you know, all that classic rock or, you know, pop, that stuff from 50, 60 years ago, it's had time to accumulate a, a following and a legacy oh, yeah. and then... You know, it's it's got all the weight of those years behind it, and there could be stuff out there now that will have a status like that. But you gotta give it time for for all the people to find it for and sure. talk about it. And yeah, it's it's sometimes it's fun to be an early adopter. And you lose that feeling of discovery and excitement and stuff. Yeah, you, know? you have to put in a little work, but it's worth it, I think. So, tastes like music is a fantastic place to uh, to pursue that. I mean, you you guys are keeping up with. Not everything new, but you're doing a damn good job of most of it, it seems like. Yeah, we try to touch on as much as we can. It's hard with the full discographies all the time to always hit on the new releases, but we have a Patreon, we have a Discord, and the people on there are always constantly talking about new stuff, so check it out. Hell yeah, tastelikemusic.com. Uh, boys or men, whichever, fellas, guys, <laughs> be gentlemen. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, what, what did we learn today? Who wants to go first? I think we learned a lot, actually. I think I learned a lot. Um, I do actually want to listen to the whole Sgt. Pepper movie soundtrack just to see how far out it gets. Ooh. Uh, I know how I feel about it already. Proceed but, at your own um, peril. You know, it is fascinating. Yeah, it's a time capsule of a sort of batshit, grandiose idea. It's just fun to dig into that sometimes. It's pretty low stakes. <laughs> uh, and I love Jason's ethos that he brought here today. That was like a pretty clear mission statement about why you need to push yourself. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, I learned that a Beatles song can be ruined. <laughs> <laughs> the very first episode we did of this podcast, we talked about a Beatles cover we did Wilson Pickett. Uh, Wilson Pickett's "Hey Jude," which I really like, and is one of the few that I, I, I think I was arguing that Eclipse is the original. It, it probably doesn't. It's it's it, it's it, it hovers in a realm. Don't back down. <laughs> it hovers in a realm Double that down. is similar to it, though. Like I feel it has it holds a special place in my heart, and it's like rare that a co- any cover does that, but especially a Beatles cover. It's not the norm. No. I guess on that note, a 2023 album of uh, Beatles covers. Shout out to uh, Brad Meldow's new release. There's some interesting interpretations of uh, I Am the Walrus and that kind of thing. Mm. 
But uh, what did I learn? I learned that 2023 apparently is shaping up to be one of the lesser years for music, which means there's only like you heard it from Jason, folks. Five, shut down, five, shut off six, the- ten new albums I need to jump on. <laughs> Close those ears. Mixed messaging for me, but uh, yeah, not great, but tons of good stuff anyway. Yeah, hell yeah, I, I like that. That's that's how I'm going to think about the trajectory of music. There is never a shortage of great stuff. The 70s are my favorite decade. My second favorite decade is the 2010s. Ooh. Like that's that. not a bad call. That's really not a bad call. All my favorite music from the 2010s kind of owes itself to the 70s. <laughs> but there, there's different things you can do with it. Jason, tw- the years of 2010 and 2011, my God, like the number of, especially we're talking about indie, whatever the hell that means, but like the releases in that genre, that giant genre, just like my goodness, like it, it pulled me back into listening to new music those years. 20, 2010's got, um, I'm blanking, 2011 is uh, The Whole Love and Bon Iver and Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a lovely time talking with you all, and I hope the listener out there had a good time as well. If you enjoyed this episode of Losing My Opinion, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. We release new episodes every Wednesday. You can also follow Losing My Opinion on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. And uh, besides uh, the fantastic YouTube channel and uh, Worst Favorite Record, anything else you want to give a shout-out to, Jason? Any, anything else you want to point people towards? Not of mine, but the, a couple of the other things I had on my list, we mentioned Jenny O. I was also going to play King Tough and Andy Schaff. Andy Schaff. <laughs> Go listen to those things, too. Those are good. You know I never will. He met someone. Uh, <laughs> love Andy Shaw. Love that guy. Crazy vocals. Crazy vocals. Well, I said that uh, Sandy Farina singing that cover of Here Comes the Sun had a little charm to it, a little sparkle, especially that, that bass playing, and I could be wrong now. But I'm not wrong now. That was a weird one. When you say Sandy Farina, I keep thinking Lou Ferrigno. That I'd like to hear him sing a Beatles song. That'd be wild. All right. Well, any anything else you got to say for yourself? No, just so long, suckers. And thank you, Jason. Hopefully, you'll come back at some point. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got more ideas. Keep keep us uh, in the loop. Yeah. yeah.